Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. Hi, this is Sturdy McKee, and this is our first, my first podcast. Um, For this podcast interview, Mike Simonson, he's been a friend of mine through Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, for a number of years. He's the founder and CEO of Altos Research that he'll tell you a little bit about. But the reason I interviewed Mike was we were talking a little bit about the types of entrepreneurs and an idea that he came up with of these four basic classifications of entrepreneurs. Um, And we go into a little bit more depth and and stuff around that too, uh, more specifically around processors, operators who want to create products and that type of thing as well. So I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, I think it'll be a great kickoff for this podcast. And uh, let me know what you think. So thanks, Mike, first of all, for being here. This is a you know, exciting for me to talk to you about, about some of your new ideas. Um, so by way of introduction, can you tell uh, us a little, tell me a little bit about how you came to start Altos Research and what Altos sure. Research, your current company does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Altos Research is a data company. We track the housing market, the, the real estate market in the U.S. We track um every house in the country that's listed for sale every week and we bubble up the analytics uh things for people who care about that stuff so um what it turns out is that looking at all the actively listed properties gives you really powerful insights about uh where the sales and prices are going to be in the future and you can measure demand and supply and so if you're a realtor that's obviously important to you in your business, but if you are an investor or a lender, uh, you also care about those types of things. Um, I started Altos, mm-hmm. um, the company started in 2006, um, but I'd been working on the data for my personal consumption uh, for several years uh, because I'd bought a little overpriced house in Silicon Valley in 2001, which is two bubbles ago. <laughs> right. I needed to know what was going on. Things were bursting. The NASDAQ bubble had, had burst, and, um, and I needed to understand. And what was happening was nobody knows. Nobody knew. Um, nobody had any insight. You could get some data from the government that was several months old, and, like, nobody knew what was happening. Um, you know, you'd, you'd see stuff in the newspaper. But it was turned out that right about that time, as the Internet was opening up, uh, the information was starting to be available online, and I just started building a database to understand. And once I started building that for several years, I realized I had more information, more knowledge than anybody else. Um, the next bubble came along, and uh, you know we were able to help our clients understand, like get out ahead of uh, the the housing bubble bursting, the mortgage bubble bursting. So, uh, so that's what we do. We we give some real time, deep view about what's happening in the housing market. Very cool. Thank you. Thanks. So how did you become an entrepreneur in the first place? How did you get started? Um, well, I've always done software, data software, and I, I've known since I was like 10 that I was going to build some software company. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know precisely what that company would look like, and I was in uh, grad school in the 90s when I first saw a – uh, somebody mentioned that, um, a data company, I think it was a healthcare data company, 
that uh, we're talking about. And he talked about how you build the software and, you know, that takes a while and then you build data. But once you've built this data as an output, it's a really powerful thing and it scales very well. And the, the marginal um, profit on any next sale is essentially 100% with data. It's a really neat business to be in. And so in at that time, I thought, oh, my software company is going to be oriented around data of some kind. And I didn't know what kind until I till this one fell into my lap because I happened to be doing it for my personal need. Um, and so when I realized I had more information than anybody had, I, like I had a commercializable product, I, uh, I, that's when I quit my job and said, I'm going to go do this. Cool. And you, I mean, you identified the need personally that there was, this was something important that didn't exist out there in the world. So that's right. I, I was a straight up personal need. And I recognized that when it was starting to solve it, I was solving it better than anybody else out there. Like it was, and, um, and so that was like, I thought I didn't know anything about the real estate market. I didn't know anything about the customers that were going to, buy it. I didn't know. All I knew was that I had better insights than I could find anyplace else. Right. Well, and that started a little over 10 years ago. So what, what's your journey been like then? I mean, you, yeah, just so, you didn't know who the customers necessarily were going to be or, or a lot of the kind of the business side of things. How, how has that developed? So I, uh, yeah, I didn't, so I didn't know anything about the market. Um, I didn't have, um, any existing relationships. And so I started by just talking to random potential customers and kind of just networking and saying, here's what I'm working on. And like, I'm looking for ideas and sharing things. And, you know, when they very quickly, when they started saying, um, uh, they'd say things like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, how much? And I had no idea how much I was going to price it at. I knew it would be a subscription <laughs> recurring revenue business. Um, I knew, but I didn't, I don't know how much it costs, you know, and I'm talking to a realtor and I say, you know, a realtor is spending a little bit on their marketing budget. And I say, uh, it's going to cost 50 bucks a month. And he goes, huh, that's interesting. I'm paying 70 a month for whatever I'm using now. And I don't like it. The next guy says, well, how much? And I said, uh, 80 bucks a month. <laughs> he goes, a little expensive, right. but I like it. You know? and so, so we became 80 bucks a month for a realtor, you know, as our entry point. And then uh, at the enterprise level, it's much higher than that. It's a national view and things, but it was priced similarly, right. a similar process. And um, so, uh, you know, then the data wise, the data underlying data is very similar to where we started. Uh, a little more broad to a few more things than what we did, uh, but the but the basic insights are the same. Um, the business model, I assumed when we started that there would be some consumer applications uh, of our data. And while I think the consumers like it, no consumer pays for it uh, ever. So very pretty quickly, you know, we you know rather than expecting thousands uh, of consumers a month to be paying us dollars. It, we took that out of the business plan after you know a year or two and said like turns out those are the end consumers and you know the people who are paying are the professionals who are the realtors or the lenders or a hedge fund or those kind of things. Sure. Uh, so that was different. Um, and then it could, in the last ten years now uh, there's been an explosion of data and so there's a lot more competition out there too. So that's a big change that's happened in the last decade. It went from nobody doing what we're doing to a lot of people taking different angles on uh, trying to get to the similar problem. Sure, sure. 
Cool. Well, that's that's really cool. So you've um, also been, I mean, we know each other primarily through EO Entrepreneurs Organization in San Francisco, and you've been engaged in leadership with EOSF for some time. Um, what have been your favorite lessons from that experience? Um, so I love EO. I love EO because uh, I, I like to identify as an entrepreneur, and I like to be around people who identify as entrepreneurs. And, and uh, I, you know, EO is, provides that globally. It provides it deep down locally. Um, my, uh, I enjoy the leadership side of EO because it allows me to engage with uh, really neat people around the world um, that, uh, you know, some remarkable business and really interesting people. And, you know, uh, I, I, I super identify and, and uh, really enjoy that. So, um, so yeah, I, um, and I like to, you know, give back in because I get so much out of the organization and it's, um, it's one of those things where you spend a lot of time and focus on it, and it, and it feels good. Very cool. Thanks. So we were talking a little bit about your kind of new idea concept of four different types of entrepreneurs. How did that idea originate? How did you come to start thinking about these types in this way? You know, it's funny. So I was actually in an EO meeting, um, and I don't remember the context of the conversation, but I do remember – that a friend of mine said, um, they put it, he's like, well, you know, we get people to work for us. That's what we do. We're entrepreneurs. That's what entrepreneurs do. And we get people to do things for us. And I, and I thought for a second, I was like, that's not what I do. Like, like I, I make products, right? I create things. I, you know, I, uh, like the, 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 concept of spending time to get people to do things for me is like, like I prefer to do it myself. Like that's where I enjoy my life, you know? And, uh, and so, and I looked at his business, he had a neat business as a consulting business, tech consulting business and, and a good team. And, um, uh, I think he ultimately sold it and made a lot of money and like, it's a really, really uh, fascinating watch, but you know, he was a guy who motivated people or, or at least, um, you know, was able to like have, um, you know, get him to do things for him, get him to work on stuff. And he delivered services, you know, where I like, I like a virtual team. I've got a small team. I like, you know, I like 10 to 15 people when my company bigger than that, like, I'm not happy. And so, but I can scale and, throw off a lot of profit and make really neat things. And so I, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a product person. I create that. Um, I build, you know, my product to do recurring revenue. So it's a, uh, it's a cool business. And then at the same time, you know, you watch people, I watch other people that I look around. And in EO, you know, uh, there are a lot of services business that may be like an IT service business or a, um, or a law firm, um, and those kind of process uh, businesses. I watch the people who run them, and well, the thing they do very well is they execute better than you could execute yourself. You could execute for yourself. They, you know, they are going to get things done. They're going to get it on time. They're going to get it done super well and reliably. And that's why you hire them. And you hire them for their expertise. They're process people, and 
And so they scale those businesses by delivering excellent process, hiring other people to, to follow their process, and, and um, they, they operate on precision. There's a handful of folks in EO who, uh, uh, and you'll see them around entrepreneurs who are, they're straight up deal makers. Um, they are, they are salespeople and the transaction companies are, uh, where they take a percentage of a deal, like an investment bank. They may be, uh, they may be value added resellers kind of thing or reseller deals where they're not building the product, but they sell it very well. Um, and they sell it over and over again. Um, and so I look at this and I see, I see four types of entrepreneurs. I see the people motivators, the product creators. I see the process types and the transaction or deal types. And then it's what's fascinating to me is like you're, you're that kind of a person. You're that oriented on how you deliver value in the world uh, and your business follows suit. So one of the things I notice a lot of times is are, are for example, uh, process entrepreneurs who uh, because to scale a process business, you've got to hire another person. You got to build them at more hour at more dollars per hour than you're paying them. And in some ways, that's a great business model, and you hire more people, and and it goes well. Um, in um, but they very often get frustrated because of the marginal profit on a person can be can be really thin. Um, so they want to build. So they're a process entrepreneur and a process business, and they feel like they want to create a product. And they want to create a product. They want to create some software that gets uh, an app that gets downloaded, and they want to scale their business. And they have this vision about um, how do they how do they create a product that can do it. What I find interesting is that when when those types of entrepreneurs, the process people, are trying to create products, they get really frustrated by how long it takes to create. Because it takes years, and in a process business, you go, "Hey, hire me," and you have revenue day one. Like you start the business, you have revenue day one because somebody hired you. Uh, in a product business, it may be two years before you have revenue, and then they're frustrated because it's not very good, and they're a process person who makes their living on doing things better than you could do it yourself. And so because products take a long time, especially technology products, but even like consumer producty things take forever to design and build and scale and oops, I didn't have a feature right and you know, all of those things. It's it's super frustrating for um for a process entrepreneur. And they have to do things like they have to be to be ready to not make any money on it for years. And they don't know how to do that. And they don't know, and they, and they also have to be uh, able to, to um, realize that having what they see as a lousy product is, as long as it's super cool for their first customers, that, like a lot of the customers don't care that it's, it's broken in these four ways because it does the one thing super cool. <laughs> so that's a fascinating, uh, that's a fascinating, and that's the, that's the one conflict I see a ton. Um, the process business, I want to create a product, but it's so agonizing. I'm a product guy, 
And I realized, fortunately, that I could never bill for processes, for bill for time. We don't bill for time in my company. And we don't because I don't deliver things on time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, build, I build software and everybody knows how long it takes to ship software. So I don't commit about, you know, billing for, I can't stand to track my hours, you know? Um, and so that's not how my creative process works by tracking hours. So, um, so I don't bill for, for services in my company. Now, you know, as a company scales and you, you hire process people to build that business inside your company, that's one way to do it. But it's, uh, but it's like a, um, like that's not where I fit. Um, you know, the, uh, the people motivators. So then you, you look at like the, I, I well, know some we, people who are process entrepreneurs. Can we hang, like, can we hang on though? Oh, sure. I, I, I want to, because uh, a, a significant portion of my audience anyways in healthcare, physical therapy, these are definitely processors, operators, people who execute who are in that model that you're talking about. And yeah. there is there is frustration. I, I see it. There are people trying to create other avenues, other ways, other really ways of disseminating their knowledge and reaching more people and expanding their reach rather than just the transactional one-on-one um, type of interaction sometimes. But what do you suggest for those Folks who who do yeah yeah you hire somebody and you they have patients day one you know and you, your goal is to ramp them up and they're billing for their time and all that stuff so if they're trying to make any kind of a transition into the product world should they well what do you think I mean does it work to team up with someone who's been down that path before to understand the process a little bit better and what the expectations are to hire a team to do that side of things for them? What, what do you, what, have you seen anything that's really worked? Yeah. So yeah, my experience says hiring the team is the path to the greatest pain. Um, okay. You're hiring product. People. <laughs> Wait, re repeat that. I think that's worthwhile. Hiring <laughs> the team is the path to the greatest pain. <laughs> yeah. Hiring, hiring a team to go build your product to your vision is the path to the greatest pain. Um, and that's because your vision is about excellence in service delivery. And, you're, and so that's why, you know, it's so frustrated. People get so frustrated with, oh, these engineers, they've been telling me it's going to work and then it doesn't work. And then, you know, like, you know, like all of these kind of, you know, stereotypical uh, challenges that happen. But... But here's what, um, here's what I have observed that works is start very small and start with a product that is working for you in one narrow aspect of your business. So, for example, um, I'm in physical therapy, let's say, and I, um, I have a program that I like my clients to be at. If I could just have a one-page app where I tell them what the program is and they type in the answers uh, now and, and, and then they use it. They type in like, okay, I did these four things. Hey. Well, and, and they're using it as a key, right? Yes, yes, yes. What's that? 
the using it is That's absolutely right. key. Is the key. And, and so then you go, okay, now I've got 600 active clients. Here's what I noticed. I've got 300 people using this. 300 of my active clients will actually use this app. And it's, it's a one page. I have, oh, I want to do reminders and I want to do feedback in the app and I want to do videos and I want to do like, like you had this grand vision of what needs to happen in the product. But the first thing you do is have them do one thing. And it's one thing that your staff likes to use. And it's one thing that your clients like to use. And so, so that's like a, a, like, and it's not, you're not charging for it. You're just, you're just trying to make your life and your client's life a little better. So now you've got, you get a bunch of benefits of that. You've got a thing that's working. You've got an installed base. You've got so a next step. So you've got, you can get it to in their hands. You don't have to spend years doing it. So even though you've got the grand vision, your one thing is to just make your life a little better. So in my case with the, you know, with the, with Altos Research, it was, I just want to know where my mortgage, is my mortgage underwater? So I'm downloading a set of data for my local market and I'm analyzing it so that I know. I don't have a recurring subscription model. I don't have grand data visualization tools. I don't have mapping. I don't, you know, all of those things I know I can do and I have it in the vision. But the only thing I'm doing is like, is my, is my mortgage underwater? And like, hmm, could, how fast could I sell this house if I wanted to sell it? So, uh, so it's a very small. The other way that I would think about that, so, so that's like, um, how can I solve one easy problem? The other way I could think about that study is, um, is actually the way my mother did it of all things. So my mother was a, an entrepreneur in the started her company in the 70s. And she, is a, she started an HR consulting business. And she was a process person. She was an expert. You know, she would sell these consulting and training classes. And it started with individuals and it rolled into big Fortune 500 companies. Um, and her process business turned the corner revenue and profitability-wise when she productized things. And what she productized was her expertise. So capturing her expertise and in the 80s when she started to do it, it was turning it into a booklet and, uh, you know, into a book. And so now she would do a training and she would say, here I have, you know, buy the books and now you can deliver the trainings. And uh, instead of paying me for a daily training, you have your own people do it and you just buy our books to feed it. So that productization, so it's taking the expertise and bottling it up into a book and a workbook or, uh, you know, those kind of, so it's packaging up the expertise in a, in a repeatable way. Right. And books are a very common way to productize, but, but uh, you know, the next step is, is, of course, technology products or in medical, there's, you know, device. Whether it's a, sure. whether it's an exercise or it's a you know a stent, uh, these are things that I I've, I've got this expertise in and I'm trying to capture my expertise. Right. We built that into software in the 90s. So 
So we took her expertise that was in a package of a book, we turned it into software, and now she can ship software to her clients uh, in addition to ship, shipping paper books. And well, so, that's, not a bad, that's not a bad route even today because as you're talking through this, I'm thinking, well, the workbook, the interaction and the creation of, of that, of the workbook and the exercises and things that would go into it, you're, you're disseminating, disseminating information and also having people you know, take action on it. You've basically created the framework and the prototype for any kind of a software app. That's exactly right. And uh, so packaging your expertise is a really valuable way of scaling, getting the scalability of a product um, in a services business. Right. Um, so those are two ways to do that. The, the trick, of course, is that, you know, the, in both cases, the start small package up a very specific one that you have, your, you have, a, you have a target for. Um, and then grow it from there. Um, and that's really to, cool. No. I try to think of, a, of an example of a, of a big services organization that has able to, been able to productize anything. I can't think of a good one. You know, like do the big sweeping scale of yeah, creating I'm, a I'm, I'll, I'll think about that a little bit more too, but I, I'm not coming up with anybody who's been super successful. I hope maybe some of the people who hear this will, it'll click for them quickly. But, uh, and, and, you know, so I, I kind of derailed you, talk, brought, brought us back to the processor and the product piece, but you were going to talk a little bit more about the people motivators as well, I think. Yeah. Well, and what I've observed on those is that, uh, you know, we're not all in a tight little bucket. So, you know, you might see people who are, People motivators, um, and you know, again, they tend to be therefore services-oriented businesses, um, and and they might be coupled with um, you know with a with a deal-making talent. Um, so you go land a bunch of big customers, and you go staff up very quickly. You know, the kind of folks who go and start a company and um, land a deal, and then go hire a thousand people. Yeah, I mean, and this one, I'm thinking of a couple of our people we both know through EO, Carolyn Betts and her recruiting business, Darius, with his business. I mean, people motivator, deal maker, rapid scale, but in the services-oriented business. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and so because they are people motivators, uh, it, like it works well in a services environment, right, where the services are going to scale with people. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, those are two great. And, you know, the thing is about those, um, the, the, the advantage of the way I, you think about those as successful businesses, you don't have to invent and you shouldn't reinvent the business model. So, you know, you know how to, you know, uh, like a recruiting business gets paid on either on its retainer or on its, you know, per deal recruiting. Um, it's, it's a, if you're a PR firm, you get paid this way. If you're a law firm, you get paid this many dollars per hour. Um, and so the advantage of that is you don't have to go and invent that. You already know how to, uh, how the accounting works and how to, to, um, 
to bill for it and how to pay your 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 employees and how to scale and all of those things work they're very known and you go do those things uh, that's not what needs to get reinvented in in those businesses what needs to happen is innovative levels of your expertise that you're you're taking in or your you know particular uh, set of connections or your 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 you know the thing that the process that people are hiring you for the precision that they like you for. right Right. Uh, in my case, with you know, in the product business, I don't know how much it's going to cost. Like, you know, do they do they pay once? Do they pay yearly? Do you pay every month? Do you bill a credit card? Like, we had to invent all of that. Um, well, there, right, there are tons of different models out there around this yeah. that hasn't really been there. There isn't like a a standard standard. Right, um, and you know, the in the uh, the service that the SaaS, the software as a service, is still a product business. It's billed, you know, monthly, but it's still the people are buying a product. And um, there's a lot of models in there where it's is it uh, freemium, where you give away a lot, and then there's like you know to as many people as you can, and then you get a few of them to pay. Um, is it a uh, is it an enterprise? SaaS model where you where none of it's free and you try to get them like you know Salesforce you try to get them to pay a lot per month um, right all over that scale right now that's interesting so um, you know the one we haven't really delved into very much yet is the the deal maker this transactional transactional people the sales the, the I'm a little fascinated too with the idea of the reseller. Um, in this group yeah, too. You know, um, you know, like I said, my creative satisfaction comes in the creating of the product. But a lot of people, the satisfaction comes in getting the deal, right? Closing the deal, selling, scaling the sales. I have a friend in Chicago who runs a light bulb business. Like they sell light bulbs to office buildings and they install them and, and they buy light bulbs cheaper and they sell them more expensive, you know, <laughs> like that's the business. And like I would go out of my mind, but, you know, he's got a great business. He sails around the world <laughs> like it's a good business and, and he scales his sales process. Right? He's, he's pure on the sales process, um, you know, or you look at, um, you know, you look at uh Interestingly, you know, things like real estate or investment banking where you're selling companies, you know, you take a chunk for your work and um, you, you know, it may come in lumpier things, but it can pay off really well, especially if you sell bigger ticket items. Um, and, uh, and in those cases, you know, the, the business, so the business doesn't it actually doesn't have to be about the precision of process necessarily it doesn't really have to be the motivation of a team right it could be a really small team um and it's really about finding and getting the deal done um and uh and it's a you know it's a different set of uh motivators for that person yeah totally um, it's obviously also super high margin. You know, you get you get six percent on a 
sale of a company if it's, you know, a hundred million or a billion or, you know, a million bucks. Well, this is interesting too, because this is probably, these are a lot of the people you, you work with and deal with as clients. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. And and in the real estate world, it's interesting. There's a big trend uh, for uh, this consolidation where it used to be, you know, you have an agent and maybe you're an agent partnership team. Like there's two of you working on things. Um, The trend these days in real estate is to have a a team, a, a bigger team where the, the team leader, the headline person on the, on the deal is investing in marketing and driving the top of the funnel leads. Um, they're doing the, the high profile uh, closing of the, of the signing the clients. Um, but the, the rest of the team is doing is nurturing the leads through the funnel. So lots of phone calls, lots of email follow-ups, lots of um, process to, to, to bring, to take the, the leads that have come in through, you know, Facebook marketing or things like Zillow or, you know, all these places where you can literally invest a bunch of dollars, you get a bunch of leads in the top of the funnel, and now your job is to go convert them, nurture them and convert them over time. Um, That trend is really, has been a function of the last decade in real estate where the, where an individual can go add, you know, spend many thousands of dollars a month on their marketing budget to get leads in the funnel, but now you got a bunch of follow-up to do. So like that's, that's what's happening. And that kind of person is a different sort of, is motivated differently in, in real estate necessarily than the, tra- the traditional folks who might have been somebody who like, hey, I just want to help my friends get into a new house that they liked. Well, and, and you're, I mean, that sounds to me anyway, like you've got these people who maybe started out as deal makers who are now in need of the people motivators and the process, you know, the operators. That's right. To bring value to that business and make it succeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can see the process people and the people motivators, you know, so there are deal, deal-oriented uh, real estate agents and who – um, who are really excellent process people and they pride themselves on making sure things work well. And there, and there are people who are people motivators and they've got 30 people banging the phones for them uh, to, to convert a bunch of leads. Um, uh-huh. And, and, um, and occasionally you see them um, try to, you know, how do I, I do these things well and I want to build a product I want to build a CRM that works for me. You know, these other products are, aren't good enough for me and I want one right. that works for me. So you'll watch people invest many millions of dollars into creating a product. Um, and uh, the, the, in those cases, the ones that I've seen work are like, happen to be, you know, I'm a real estate agent who has a specific vision of my needs for my CRM. Um, my brother happens to be a software developer. And that, you know, those are the partnerships that like to turn into a product that is sustainable. Right. But they're following a similar pattern to what you said, focusing on one thing, doing it really well, then iterating and, and expanding. Yeah. The and they are, you know, and, and doing it well and doing it, solving their own problem. Right. Very often it's about solving their own problem first. Right. 
And the problems, I mean, that's one thing too. I think it's very, very true for entrepreneurs is we have all kinds of problems. And what I see is, is folks kind of thinking that they're on their own, that they're alone. And then you go talk to somebody else and somebody else, somebody else. And this is actually one of the values I've gotten out of EO is realizing that we're all out there somewhat alone dealing with the same kinds of issues and things across industries, across, you know, businesses. Yeah. Yes, of course. There's a lot more commonality than, than there are differences in a lot of cases. I totally agree. Right. That's yeah. That's really enjoy. I enjoy you for that as well. Yeah. That opened my eyes anyway. So, you know, kind of on that note for, this is a question I like to ask a lot of different entrepreneurs and people who've, been in this a while and made connections and stuff. So for, for business owners out there who, you know, are either new or maybe they've been doing this for 15 or 20 years, but they feel they're still feeling isolated or alone. What kind of advice would you offer them? Um, well, uh, you know, I like um, the, 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 the EO structure for handling the, the, the isolation feeling alone been very powerful for me um, uh, the, the 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 specific way that EO is executed as opposed to some just sort of networking group is, has always been an appeal to me um, the experience share not advice giving and the the uh, specific gestalt protocol as opposed to like some kind of just random networking meeting or, you know, and, and in particular uh, of EO where it's non-solicitation, where people are trying to sell things to each other uh, is really nice to me. Mm-hmm. So I use, I, that's what I use. I mean, it's a big part of my EO experience for the, on the isolated side. Cool. Cool. So, um, and you have you seen people do similar things outside of an organization with the accountability groups or a peer group or that type of thing as well? Oh yeah, I mean I'm sure, and and there are a lot of different um, you know uh, types of entrepreneur groups, especially in San Francisco and Silicon Valley where we are. Uh, there's all kinds of things around the the um, you know in um, the accountability groups are an interesting uh, way to to uh, tackle some of those things. Like if you, it's like if if your hurdle is about um, trying to make sure I get the next thing done, well, very often it's it's helpful to tell people what you want to get done next and have them ask you next month, did you do it? Uh, just kind of like a built-in uh, almost shaming or I better get it done so I'm not embarrassed kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Heck, even the, even the, the, the action of writing it down is useful, right? Right, right. Oh, very cool. Okay, well, Mike, I thank you very much for this. I think this is hugely useful. Um, you know, you haven't said anything yet, but I would very much look forward to the book that explains all these <laughs> and uh, and the stories and kind of how how all this developed because it, it, I find it fascinating and I, and it definitely resonates. You know, the the descriptions and all that you're giving and the the way of thinking about like our strengths and 
and you know what we might do, where we might get frustrated, who we might want to work with to make stuff happen. So I really, really thank yeah. you for the. You're welcome. It was, uh, I appreciate the time to do it because, you know, this is stuff that rattles around in my head, but, you know, it's this is like an opportunity to to, to write it down for the first time and, and uh, maybe we can develop it further. Yeah, no, I would love to. I think this is super exciting. So I really, really do appreciate it and appreciate you, man. Thanks. Yeah. Happy to, happy to uh, interact or, you know, uh, take questions or anything that I can help with uh, any of your listeners as well. Okay, awesome, awesome. We'll put that out there in, in your contact info and stuff too. But thanks very much. A big thanks to Mike Simonson for his insights and for agreeing to do this podcast with me. You can reach Mike or get more information about him at altosresearch.com or on Twitter at Mike Simonson. Mike's also on LinkedIn and easily findable. You have been listening to Mike Simonson of Altos Research and Sturdy McKee at sturdymckee.com. Thank you for listening.